0: We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Fearless Business Podcast Welcome to episode 87 of the Fearless Business Podcast. This is Jamie, and I am sitting here all by myself today, which is a very weird feeling for me. I don't necessarily love doing an episode all by myself, but I'm going out of my comfort zone, so I feel like everybody should know that because we talk about the things that we're most afraid of. I'm also on video, which frankly terrifies me, and I don't know why, but I feel like I should also mention that. And so today I really wanted to get on and do a solo episode because I think the topic that I have in mind is really important. I want to talk all about intellectual property. Even though this is so uncomfortable for me, but that's fine. I'll own that. I feel like I want to give a primer. In my practice in Hashtag Legal, I've been just seeing so many people who've been coming to us either with possibilities of cease and desist for intellectual property they own that they need to send, or they've received a cease and desist for something that they've done. And there's a lot of really basic questions I think that if answered would help avoid some of those situations. So I sat down with Mary and I said, I'm gonna do this solo episode, I'm gonna get more comfortable with it, and I'm gonna talk all about intellectual property. So what do I mean when I talk about intellectual property? I mean trademarks, copyright, and patents. Because I only practice in trademarks and copyright area of law. I don't practice in, I don't specialize in patents. I'm only going to talk about trademarks and copyright. And if you have a patent question, I have a wonderful patent attorney that I refer clients to, and I'm more than happy to send you that information. Feel free and message me as well if you have a patent question, I just can't answer it. I want to start with trademarks. Trademarks I think are pretty confusing. Over this past weekend I just spoke to a female entrepreneur group that's local in my community and one of the things that I talked about was trademarks and there were so many blank faces that were just sitting in the audience, I thought it would be great for me to bring it up here as well because it's a pretty confusing topic. Trademarks are names, they're brands, they're essentially source indicators of lawyers like to call them. And that just means when you look at a certain product or service and you see their name or their logo, those are two examples of trademarks, you know where the products or services are coming from. So for example, when you see that really cool Nike swoosh, you know they are Nike sneakers or apparel, and you know what the quality of those products are going to be because you've come to associate Nike with certain quality. You also have associated likely Nike with a certain aesthetic. And so if somebody else, another company or person was able to use that brand, it would be really confusing because you as the consumer would think you were getting Nikes, and what if the quality wasn't that great? So if you look at trademarks in that way, they always have to be associated with a good or a service. And to be eligible for trademark registration, they have to be what we call used in commerce. And essentially what that means is you are associating that name with a good or service, a good or service, and you're offering it for sale. And used in commerce, particularly if we're talking about federal trademark registration, which is what I'm essentially going to be talking about, you need to be using it across state lines. So you have to have customers that come to you from another state where you are selling those goods and services. If you are a local coffee shop and all of your customers come from a surrounding neighborhood, and you don't have any customers that come from outside of the area, then you would have a harder time getting trademark registration because you have to show use in interstate commerce. So that is one of the requirements. The other requirement that you have to think about is the name, logo, the mark, I'm going to call it, has to be eligible for trademark registration. And there are two distinct issues that you need to think about. The first issue to think about is the likelihood of confusion. And this is the one that most people think about. A likelihood of confusion happens when there are two marks that are sold, they're selling the the same or similar goods and services, and the marks are actually the same or similar. So there's two considerations there. The names have to be pretty, either exactly the same or similar. And what similar means can mean broader than you may think it. It may mean that um, some letters are changed it may mean that one of the words of many words is the same. It may mean that a spelling has changed, but it sounds the same. There's a lot of sort of complex things that you have to think about when you make an analysis for likelihood of confusion. But you can look at it and you can eyeball it and think to yourself, would I be confused? Would I think that? This these two marks are coming from the same source. The other thing you have to think about is what goods or services are being sold. So for example, my law firm is hashtag legal, we sell legal services. And so if somebody were to want to use hashtag legal to create, say, an energy drink um, or chocolates, most people probably wouldn't think that they are associated with a law firm So the odds are we could coexist without any concerns for likelihood of confusion. So those are some important things to think about. If you are considering a name that you want to create, um, that you want to use for a new product or service, it's great to do research on your own. It's also really important to speak to an attorney as well. Because there is some analysis an attorney will do that likely you won't be able to do um, or you won't have access to the resources that you need. But do a little research on your own even before you talk to the lawyer. Use Google. You can look at the trademark, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. They have a database. I'll drop that in the show notes, but you can Google capital T-E-S-S and you'll be able to find that database. And you can search in there to see if there are any marks that have been registered that are the same or similar. It's also really important to look around in Google in that initial search, because even if someone hasn't registered it, they still may have rights to the name. So knowing who's using it, we call that common law usage. Knowing who's using it, even if they haven't applied for registration, is also really important. That's a great thing to do when you're first starting out. We, like I said, I do recommend that you speak to an attorney who specializes in trademark law, just because there is a lot of other considerations that go into the analysis, But it's a great way for you to at least get a feel for who's, you know, doing what. It's good market research as well. The other thing to think about, about whether or not a trademark is potentially, has the potential to be registered, is whether or not the name is descriptive. And what that means is the name can't describe what it is that you do. So for example, I couldn't try to register the word computer to describe a line of computers. And so it's important that what it is that you're doing is not the name. And you, you can use those as a brand name. It just you may not be eligible for a trademark registration. The trademark office prefers names that are fanciful. And by fanciful, I mean a made-up word. So Xerox or Google, those are made-up words that now you very clearly associate. I know I'm sure that conjured up copy machines and probably the Google logo in your brain. They also like arbitrary words. So Apple for computer. Apple's obviously a real word, but no one would ever think that an apple is a computer. Those names are a lot more have a lot greater chance of being protected than a descriptive name. You also can use what are called suggestive names. A suggestive name means it su- it suggests some element, or it just somehow talks about some part of your good or service. So a really good example of that is Sprint. Um, Sprint obviously doesn't describe what it is that they do, but it describes the fact that you're going to get fast data. Um, And so that is suggestive of what the goods or services are, but it doesn't actually describe it. That is really the types of trademarks that are most eligible for protection. Um, And so when you're looking at naming a good or service, you not only want to think about whether or not there's another party out there who's either registered or using a name that's the same or similar, but also whether or not the name that you're utilizing is descriptive. And you may not care, so you may say, I really want a descriptive trademark or a descriptive brand name, and that's okay, you just have to know that you may not be able to register that for for protections. And so you're probably thinking to yourself, this sounds really expensive and it sounds really overwhelming and it's very, very scary, like why would I even bother doing this? Trademark registration has some really good benefits. First, it is proof of your ownership of the name, and it's noticed to the world that you know, that you own the name, that you own the trademark. And so that prevents people from being able to infringe on that mark. It also gives you national protection. So once you you're from your date of filing, you get not just protection in the geographic area where you're using the mark those are the protections that you get when you're using a mark without registration but you actually get protection across the entire country and that's really really great because it can stop somebody even if you're using the mark in florida You may have customers all over the country, but you can stop someone from using the mark in California. It also gives you great advantages in the event you do have to sue someone. It enables you to sue for trademark infringement. It also gives you um, the potential for attorney's fees and what we call treble damages, which are increased damages in the event of what we call willful infringement, meaning somebody is using a name, they know you have a trademark registration, and they're using a name that's the same or similar anyway. And so those are really powerful powerful tools and having those tools in your toolbox will often enable you to stop somebody before you even have to get to court. So those are one of the reasons why we really stress and think that it's important to at least consider or talk to an attorney about whether or not it makes sense for you to have seek trademark registration. One thing to note, the process is long. Uh, It can take a while. But your operative date, the date where you get your protections from, is the date of your filing. So even if it takes a year to get through the trademark office process, you still will have protections from the date of application. The other area that I want to talk about is copyright. Copyright is a little bit different. Copyright is what you utilize in order to protect Something that you've created. The most important thing to remember, and I stress this all the time, and I hear so many horror stories about this. So I like to try to give this piece of advice is you can't copyright or you can't protect just an idea. So if you have the most amazing idea that is um, you're going to launch in your business, be careful who you tell because that person can just take it. And created themselves, and that is so frustrating. Um, there's things that you can put into place, like non-disclosure agreements, but protecting ideas is very, very challenging. I heard a terrible story from a panelist yesterday at that event I was talking about, where she had this awesome idea for her business. She told who she thought was a trusted friend. They took it and they launched it themselves, and it was just not only is that hurt but it's rough for your business. So remember that ideas are not copyright, you cannot copyright protect an idea. What you can protect is how you create that idea, what you do with that idea. So if you have an idea for a course, when you create the course, the videos, the materials, what you've written, all of that has the potential to be protected. So once you've created it, you have those protections in place. A lot of people don't go this final step of actual copyright registration, and I wanna talk a little bit about why that's really helpful, but before we do that, I wanna define exactly what a copyright is. So copyright, and I'm gonna use a little bit of legalese, is an original work, and by original, I just mean you created it. I could take the same picture as somebody else of the same, I'm looking out my window at a stop sign, at the same stop sign, and my picture i will own the copyright in it and my friend will own the copyright in her picture of the stop sign so it doesn't have to be the mona lisa it just has to be something that you've created it also has to be fixed in a tangible medium. And what that means is what I just said. You've actually created it. You've created the course. You've taken the picture. You've written the blog post, wrote the book. It's not just an idea that's floating in your brain. It's something that is actually physically created. And so once you know that, you can start to think about the things, if you're a creator, of what have the potential to be protected by copyright. The minute that you create a work, it is protected. It has certain, what we call common law protections, kind of like what I talked about with trademarks when you're using a brand name, you get certain protections. Same thing with copyright. So once you create it, you own the copyright. I'm going to use a photograph because that's a fairly simple example. You own all of the rights in that photograph and you're free to do whatever you want with it. You can give it away. You can sell certain rights to use that copyright. And so it's important for you to know that you do have rights. However, Copyright registration, which is a really simple process and can frequently be done on your own. You don't necessarily need an attorney, Um, although if it's something you don't wanna do, definitely chat with an attorney who has an understanding of copyright registrations and copyright law. But it's a fairly simple process, very different than trademarks. The reasons for copyright registration, they're pretty simple. They're very similar. It's public record of your ownership of the work. You have now a presumption that you own that work, which is really beneficial. You don't have to prove it. It also gives you, in the event you do have to sue, statutory damages, meaning you don't have to prove what your damage is by someone infringing on your work, you automatically get a certain amount based on certain factors. And finally, you also will likely get, and there's potential to get, attorney's fees, which is great because if you are forced to sue someone who refuses to, say, take down a photo that you've created or won't pay you the licensing fee for it, if you do have to sue them, You'll get, you can have the potential to get your attorney's fees back. And having the copyright registration is a really good negotiation tool. Because once you have that, most people, they don't want to mess with it. So if you send a cease and desist, then you're in pretty good shape, um, hopefully, if the person is paying attention. Once you have that copyright registration, and once you have that trademark registration, what happens next? So you've created the work, you have the brand name, you have the registrations. It is your job and your obligation as an owner of intellectual property to make sure you're protecting it. So if someone is infringing on your trademark, or if someone is infringing on your copyright, you have to... Stop them. And to do that, you can do a couple of things. You can send a cease and desist yourself. You can have an attorney send a cease and desist. Um, and if those don't work, you can also, in the case of copyright infringement, you can certainly utilize what we call DMCA takedown notices, the, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And there's certain, um, like, website providers, host providers, registrars, they have an obligation to take infringing works off of the web if that's the case. Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, they also have those procedures in place. So you can protect yourself that way to get your copyright um, or trademark um, infringing materials taken down. Although copyright only applies to DMCA notices, trademark would be a little different, but you still have those potential in place as well you need to send those cease and desist and you need to continue to follow up. It's important. Often if an attorney sends a cease and desist, it may get a little bit more traction. Um, For the most part, people don't want to get sued. So it can help. But at the end of the day, in some certain instances, you may end up having to file suit. And that will ultimately be a conversation between you and your attorney about what makes the most sense and what resources you have available and whether or not it's something that needs to happen. But having a good relationship with a lawyer will help you navigate those processes. So now, what happens if you get a cease and desist? So you may be on the other end of this where you took someone's photo and you didn't realize that you couldn't take someone's photo. If you get a cease and desist, my biggest piece of advice is don't ignore it. Uh, reach out to an attorney if you can to understand what your rights are. If you don't have a good attorney, ask in your network to see if you can find one. I would also recommend, you know, once you have an understanding of your rights, you're going to need to reach out to the other party to see how they want to resolve the situation. If they have an attorney, it might be best for you to also speak to an attorney just to make sure that you're covering your bases. But don't ignore it. That's really my biggest piece of advice. And my other really big piece of advice is if you want to utilize someone else's intellectual property, whether it's something that's protected by copyright or their trademark, you got to ask for permission. It's just really important. Don't lift photos. Don't take excerpts of what somebody's written. Roundups I know are sort of commonly used, unknown, but if you think there might be an issue, just ask for permission. It is really the best way to go um, and it makes sure that you are most protected. If you're asking for permission, I'd do it in writing. Things can go from very, very simple to very, very complicated, If you want to utilize somebody else's intellectual property, you'll likely need to get a license from them. And what that means is they're just granting you a right to use their intellectual property. And there's really clear definitions about how you can use them. Some people can do this as simply if you're just asking, hey, can I post your photo on my Instagram? I'll give you credit. If the person says, yeah, that's great. I'd love that. Then there you go. But if you're talking with money or royalties or you want to utilize it commercially, you may need a more complicated license. And licensing is a whole other area of intellectual property that it's really important to talk to a lawyer about so you understand either what you're buying or what you are selling. And so that's my pretty basic primer on intellectual property. There's like a million questions that come up after I give all that information. And I often, you know, I could probably talk for the next say hour about it, but I don't want to overwhelm with information. So if something I said I touched on makes you pause or scratch your head or worries you in some way, um, feel free and shoot me an email. I'm more than happy to try to answer questions for you. And if you do need assistance, definitely speak to an attorney. Obviously all the information that I'm giving here today is strictly information. No attorney-client relationship is created uh, between you and I just because I'm an attorney um, does not mean that we have that relationship until that one is actually formed. Um, This is just me sort of giving kind of like a PSA because I've been seeing a lot of people bump into issues And I'd love to be able to get information out there that's easy so that people can avoid some of the things that pop up like using someone else's image or hearing someone's methodology and incorporating into your own methodology in a way where you're using the language they've used or if somebody creates a, a download and you sort of take it and copy it, things like that. You just want to be really careful. Try to create your own original works. Um, inspiration is great, but too much inspiration can start to move into infringement. Um, and every bit as much as you want to protect your own intellectual property, so does everybody else. So when in doubt, ask for permission. And if you have any questions, please feel free and join us in the HQ. I'm going to post some resources in there as well about both trademark and copyright. And I'm more than happy to answer any questions. So thanks so much. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. We'd love it if you'd subscribe and share this podcast. Reviews are amazing too. Please visit fearlessbusinesspodcast.com for more information. If you'd like to connect with Jamie, visit hashtag legal.com. And if you'd like to connect with Mary, visit the transitionscollective.com. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next time.